Welcome to Journeys of Teaching. I'm Aaron R. Gearhart. This week, we will explore the journey of Dr. Suzanne Katz. Suzanne is a drama lead teacher at Two Rivers Public Charter School in Washington, D.C., and a research consultant with the Education Research Division of the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. Suzanne holds a doctorate in curriculum and instruction from UNLV. I connected with Suzanne through a Facebook group for anti-racism in education. Nice to meet, nice to see you. <laughs> I was just rereading your CV that you shared with me, and you've been a lot of places. <laughs> you've done a lot of stuff. Well, I'm, I'm a little bit on the older side of things. Too. <laughs> I I looked up where I like Homewood, Illinois. It's where you did um, some of your service. Yes. Many years ago. And I was like, why does that sound familiar? So I looked it up on the map because I'm from Illinois. And I used to take the metro in and out of the city with like my suburb friends. I wasn't from the suburbs. I was from I was closer to Iowa than I was Chicago. But I was like, I remember that was a stop on the Metro on the way home from Lollapalooza. I, I recall that very vividly. I remember Lollapalooza. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We went the last time I went was in 2011. On this episode, we will hear Suzanne's stories about the beginning of her teaching career and her transition into teaching theater, as well as helping to start a middle grades theater education program in Las Vegas. On the following two episodes, we will hear Suzanne's stories about her work outside of the classroom as a teacher, educator, and researcher, eventually coming back to the classroom full-time 13 years later. Also, we will discuss Suzanne's current work as a drama teacher in the early childhood education setting amidst the ongoing pandemic, including how her students created and performed silent films, exploring racial injustices in the film industry back in the 1920s. I spoke with Suzanne in April of 2022, and we got into her classroom teaching career transitions, first in Louisiana out of college and then in Las Vegas, eventually teaching theater and heading up a new middle grades theater program at her middle school. I was, as I said, I was a one to six grades, one six generalist. I had been a music major as well, but I never had any intent to be. Did you play or did you like what? What was your music um, background? Uh, piano and voice, but okay. I played a lot of instruments and I was composing when I was in high school. That's amazing. Uh, so at one point I was, I mean, I went to college thinking I was going to be uh, Hans Zimmer, Danny Elfman writing film scores, you know, sort of, you know, where Trent Reznor is sort of right now. And it's so cool to see that journey, by the way, too. I think the social network score is the best score of the last decade, but that's my, my so that, take that's of the day. What, that's what I thought I was going to do. Yeah. And I also was the kid who volunteered in religious school and led my brother's Cub Scout pack and did the camp counselor stints in the summer, lifeguarding, that sort of thing. Yeah. And when I would, I just said, oh, you know, I, ha you know, I have to take another social science course. Let's take the education course. Uh, the child study course. And I ended up adding the education major. Mm -hmm. Father, my father was very pleased. He said there were far fewer starving teachers than starving <laughs> He was right. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, he also said, just remember, listen, you don't have to listen in those pedagogy classes. All you really need is a solid grounding in your content in order to be a good teacher. I'm saying that now there might be a place where we revisit that comment when while we talk. Okay. I went when I went, I did. I graduated. I had 
already been accepted into, into Madison's ed policy program, but deferred that while I did my active duty training. Mm-hmm. Finished active duty training, went to Madison, got my doctorate. My panel told me I could stay and do a uh, doctorate. There were in Madison, there were three things they could do. They could either say, no, you don't get your master's degree when you defend your thesis. No, sir. Goodbye. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. You could get your thesis, but no rec and get your master's, but have no recommendation to stay for further study. Or they could say, you have your master's. We'd love to see you for your doctorate. Mm -hmm. I looked at my committee, which I was so green. I didn't realize who these people were. I had Michael Apple was on my committee. I read some Michael Apple when yes. I was on my doctorate. I just liked having him as a professor. I asked him to be on my committee and he was my committee chair. I didn't realize I was that great. Anyway, I was sitting and I said, you know, if I'm going to study schools for the rest of my career, I probably need to spend some time in schools on the other side of the desk first. Right, right. And Michael said, he invited me out for a beer afterwards. <laughs> he liked that answer. I also, at the same time, slammed a couple of members of my committee without knowing it at the time. I had Herb Klebard on my committee and Pat and CISO. And I know God, her. Read stuff by all these people. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I. I didn't. I, these were people I had as professors who I liked and I asked to be on my committee. We used the Klebard book for like a, like an ed history. Yes. He was. Of course, he I had to take for my doctorate. Yeah. Wow. People in ed history. Damn, but he okay. had never, I don't know if he had taught before, but uh, they all chuckled. They signed my thesis and, and that was, I didn't, but I didn't realize. Anyway, it had, did that and then went to teach. And Michael loved the answer because he said, yeah, you probably should. Because Michael taught before he taught in New York before he did his his graduate work. Right. Um, I started teaching. I did not get jobs when I came out of school um, because I applied to all the hoity toity suburbs in Chicago where I. Yeah, I tried that, too, when I was getting out of college. I received a phone call. I was thinking I was going to get an interview. It was my principal who was my third grade reading teacher Hmm. who realized that I was in the wrong reading group and somehow skipped me through three or four basal reading series books to get me to the reading group I needed to be in. Yeah. That was at a time the tracking was intense and you did a basal reading book a year. So if you started in the pre-primer in kindergarten, you were three or four levels behind everyone else in fifth grade. Yeah. Miss Thalman had a lot to do with my educational trajectory by giving me extra books and making me take all of the end of year reading tests within three months. She and it was simply because I was stubborn. I said I didn't have to learn to read until I was six. <laughs> I Miss Thalman realizing that changed my whole educational trajectory. Anyway, she had call, she called me and said, "Is this 
Susie, I was Susie growing up. Um, She said, is this Susie or Suzanne is the Susie who was at Willowbrook? And I said, yes. And she said, this is Dr. Thalman. She was by then had her doctorate. And I'm thinking I'm going to get an interview. And we had a lovely little conversation. And she said, have you been applying at all the suburban districts? I said, yes. And she said, that's probably not a good idea. We were still coming out of the recession in the early 90s at that point. Unless you know someone in the district or you have a lot of experience, we're not even looking. Yeah. And okay. Is that the same in all the schools? She said, yes. At that point, I put a map on the wall and I threw darts at it. And wherever a um, dart landed that I knew they would need teachers, I called. I Now that is good for your ego. I had so many <laughs> interviews. <laughs> around the country in one week that I felt really good. And uh, I, I dropped everything. I moved to Louisiana and they said, well, we have, we have a job for you. It's um, it's seventh grade math and science. But since you're a one six generalist, we can kick that up to eighth grade and you'll have a one eight license. Okay. okay. Um, Figuring. It was going to be fine. And uh, I had a first year of teaching in math and science in southern Louisiana, uh, south of I-10, mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, rivals most people's first year teaching stories. I'm sure. Um, seventh grade classroom. Uh, it was probably 50 percent white, 48 percent black, 2 percent other. And uh, lots of racial tension, lots of economic problems in the area because a lot of the factories closed. Oil was took a downturn and they had a lot of families who had members of the families working on the oil rigs. Um, 17 year old seventh grader in my classroom sitting next to a 12 year old girl. I had a 15 year old girl who was pregnant with her second child who at one point said, what are you going to do? Call my mama. I am the mama. That was my first year of teaching. Mm. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself. I learned about the the uh, the things first year teachers do in frustration that they should not do. I used myself as a, when I was a professor. I used that experience as an object lesson when we talked about how we reflect on teaching practice, yeah. and that was that was an experience. Taught there for about two years and then um, was engaged and moved out to Las Vegas again, um, started with a long term sub position because Vegas at the time only interviewed for only hired teachers at certain times of the year and only interviewed subs two or three times a year. They had very strict time frames to do things. They needed teachers and they needed subs, but they weren't going to open up their hiring pools for some reason. No, I idea. guarantee it's not like that anymore, but yeah. Well, and they were then they were the fastest growing district in the yeah, country. Yeah. But they still only said, okay, your sub applications are available on this day from this time to this time to pick them up. After that, they weren't available again. <laughs> and uh, I had was, I had sort of moldered away for about half a year doing all sorts of different jobs because I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into teaching. Friend gave me the application and said, fill this out. You're wasting yourself. 
immediately got a call, had an interview, heard nothing. The day my subfile came active, I got a call at 8.30 in the morning saying, I have a long-term sub position for you. Take it till the end of the year, and then I'm hiring you in the fall if all goes well. I said, wow, isn't this amazing? My subfile just became active today. And this principal said, there's a reason you're getting a call. <laughs> this woman is still a friend to this day, by That's the way. Awesome. She was my principal. I had that long-term supposition till the end of the year. I was hired. Um, she had said at the end of the year, she looked at me and she said, I'm hiring you. What subject area you want? You're a generalist. I said, social studies. She looked at me very seriously, said, not unless somebody dies, because even in Vegas where they needed teachers, they didn't have open social studies positions. So many history majors just want to become become history teachers or social studies teachers. And I said, what's open? She told me. And I said, physical science, that's me. You know, I have the electronics. I have my military specialty, which was in, I don't know, (laughs) nuclear, biological and chemical weapons. Uh, There's some crossover there, I'm sure. What does the Army do with a music major? (laughs) Yeah, imagine that. That's the specialty they gave me. But I had all that, you know, they probably saw the physics courses that I took for fun on my transcript and said, we can train her in this area. So I had this background. I said, I can put it to use in the classroom. Just make sure I have the books over the summer so I can see what the content and the curriculum. I can see what the content is. At the beginning of the year, she said, can you sell a prep period? We have a drama class that needs coverage. I said, "Okay, sounds like fun. Did it. And after an observation by the principal in my class, she said, I want to start a theater program. I think you're the person to do this. And I said, I have no theater coursework anywhere. I did. I acted when I was a kid. I'm why are you doing this? Do you think I'm going to be good at it? Or do you just think I'm going to blow up the school if I keep doing combustion activities mm. with my physics, my, my physical science students? She said a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> and the next year I was teaching. I started out teaching five sections of drama. They bought one of my prep periods so I can teach six. And I had a full drama program Within a year, we were doing three shows a year. By the second year, we were doing three shows a year, including after school. I learned my first year, you don't do shows in your classes because my classes were so big. Someone would be the lead. And then you'd have someone playing a rock. And the kid who was playing the rock really wasn't going to love theater that much by the end. Right, right. So I did all skill building in classes. I ended up with two sixth grade beginning classes, a sixth, a seventh grade beginning class, a seventh grade intermediate class. And then eighth grade, I had an advanced class and a beginning class. I was never good enough to have the eighth graders in that beginning class drop the personas they had developed over three years and just improvise and be all of these goofy people that you have to be on stage. I couldn't get them to break through. And I talked to the principal and we ended up instead of, of having an eighth grade beginning class, we had an eighth grade technical theater class that you could go into if you had no theater before, as well as you loved technical theater and all your other courses. Let's 
have a tech class so you can do advanced skills. So that's what I ended up with. And it was simply because the principal said, I want a theater program, even though we don't really have it in Vegas, go forth and have fun. (laughs) And I did. And then we did, as I said, three shows after school is each, each year as well. We had a fall full length play, a one act festival in February, and then the musical at the end of the year. It's cool to hear kind of how you went to each kind of stage there. I think that'll be interesting for people to hear because it's like these opportunities, some of, some of them you constructed for yourself as you kind of went to the different places you went to, but some of them was kind of like that improv principle of yes. And it's like, okay, I could. And now you're teaching theater how many years later, because you chose to say yes to that proposition from teaching this, the sixth, you getting rid of one of the preps and then taking the program on. That's, that's pretty cool. And Kathy Andrews, my principal in, in Vegas was phenomenal. This was a middle school that she built. As I said, Vegas was growing by leaps and bounds. Right. When I when this school was built, it was sort of large and state of the art. Two years in, they had to put an addition on because they still were building out towards the uh, the canyons. Yeah. She built that school. She stayed there. Usually Vegas has a habit of changing principles, and I think they still do it. They change those principles around rather quickly. She stayed at that school pretty much the entire time I was there. She only left to open a new high school. And but she was amazing. She adopted a full middle school model for that building. So we had teaming in the early nineties, we had the double preps. So you had a prep with your team and a prep, an individual prep. We had, we didn't have a full health center on campus, but we did have a nurse and a nurse's station, which wasn't always the case in all schools. Mm -hmm. And this was a huge school. They really tried to break it down to make it seem smaller for the students as they were coming in from elementary and as a place where they learned how to departmentalize, but only within that team. So this, we had some years, we had about 1800 students in three years. That's big. Yeah. This was a, this, it was bigger than a lot of high schools. Yeah. But the middle school model broke it down. So you had your 130 kids between four teachers and they filtered out to the rest of this with the rest of the grade and their electives. Right. You had to have a lot of electives because if you had all those teams filtering to electives at the same time, but this woman put together, not just a middle school where you had the three things that all the schools, all the junior highs had, which were band, orchestra and choir. She had drama. We had a dance program. We had a uh, crafts and textiles program, as well as art, a technologies program. And after a while, we had a guitar program that was underwritten by Fender. But she put this together. So we had the electives. And yes, there were scheduling reasons she did this because if you wanted the double props for the teachers, they had the kids had right. to electives. But in the process, we were not an art school. 
but she saw value in that. So in addition to having the three arts that you were supposed to have and the tech program and the languages, she made sure there were enough arts to keep all of the students interested and engaged. And we were able to keep a lot of students who may not have really been engaged at the middle school level involved at the middle school level. Right. Well, that, yeah, again, like I, I just love hearing as someone who just did a career shift a couple years ago, kind of how that worked for you. A lot of my contacts now are in, especially in primary drama are in the UK mm-hmm. because you don't have professional development geared towards elementary drama teachers in the United right. States. Right. One of the things I'm working with educational theater association, hopefully we'll have that sooner or later, but with only, I think 4% of students in elementary schools receiving any sort of drama instruction. It's been my wife's crux of her career is like those do PD at her school, but it's never really applicable to what she does as a music educator. So when she got the chance to do this this STEAM workshop, she was like, I have to do it because I know I'm going to get something out of it. And she has. She's doing really cool lessons coming out of it. The Kennedy Center research that I've been working on, and that's the article that we're editing, and I think it's in press right now. Right. um, is on uh, professional development for arts teachers. And one of the things you find is exactly what your wife has said. Arts in general, when your your school does PD, the PD is geared towards your academics. And when they do say, oh, all the arts teachers can get together and plan together. That's literally what, yeah. That's been her it doesn't experience. work anyway because the art teacher doesn't do what the drama teacher does, doesn't do what the music teacher does. No, and it's like you, you have to yeah. set a goal and follow it long term for it to make any impact on your practices anyway. So just telling everyone to get in a room, the hell is that going to do? Well, this year, and we've been fighting for this for a while. This year, I was, I am what they call the lead, te- the arts lead teacher. I saw that on your CV. Yeah. And that means once a week, we do common planning time where we'll get together and we'll talk maybe we. We're trying to have an arts cabaret at the end of the year where parents will come in and see some performances. It won't be like it's been in the past. Right. So we'll do that during our common planning time and we'll do school announcements that affect the arts. But when we have PD, I can now put together PD for the arts teachers. That's great. And it's still not perfect because sometimes school PD bleeds in. If we're doing something on a school climate or culture, right. we're pulled out and the middle, you know, there's a mid. I also am responsible for the arts teachers in the middle school and they have to be pulled out for different reasons. Two things really stuck out to me about this part of Suzanne's narrative. First, she was open to new career experiences and as you will hear on the following episodes, has continued to welcome new challenges and roles that are professionally fulfilling. Secondly, her initial work in theater and drama education in Las Vegas was well supported and became an integral part of her middle school in terms of administrative backing, infrastructure, and time. Such is the case with arts integration. It's not supposed to be an add-on, but integral as we support our students in meeting fine art standards as well as standards across the curriculum. We will continue to explore Suzanne's narrative on the following two episodes on this podcast feed. You can follow Suzanne on Twitter at scatedu. My contact information is in the episode description. This is Journeys of Teaching. I am Aaron R. Gearhart, and thank you for listening.